welcome to the Junction Church Aberdeen podcast. We're so glad you chose to listen to this life-changing message. Tonight, I am concluding the Pressing In series. The Pressing In series we've been running for, uh, I think, the last couple of months. And tonight is the concluding message. Pastor Kevin did the penultimate message this morning, and it was awesome. We were finally about pressing in towards the goal. But I am going to speak the very last one and hopefully bring this thing full circle. So I'm just going to read from Philippians. Uh, the Pressing In series, we've been taking a passage of Scripture from Philippians, Philippians 3, 12 to 14, and we've just been pulling it apart. We've been taking apart war, uh, verse by verse and just really trying to get into what God has what is God's plan for the church and for us as people as we, as we walk through life, as we journey through life with Jesus? So I'm just going to read it now it's in Philippians 3, 12 to 14. And what it says is, Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call, in, uh, call of God in Christ Jesus. And so the bit that I'm going to be really sort of focusing in on, homing in on for this evening is the prize of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus. So for anyone who doesn't know, for anyone who might be new or, or, or is sort of new to the Bible, that passage of scripture was written by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul wrote a large portion of the New Testament, which was the part of the Bible that was written after Jesus had come back, come to earth and died on a cross for all of our sins and had created a new plan, a new way, uh, a new uh, avenue or path. To, to God. And, and, and he wrote much to the early church. And so what he's saying is, is really, it's, it's, an, it's quite a personal account, but it, at the same time, it's almost like to be an example for many other, other people who were at the time sort of walking that walk of, uh, with Jesus. And, and for us today, we can look at this and, and get real sort of revelation on, on what just that, that journey looks like. So I want to just do just because I'm starting at the end almost, I wanted to just sort of give a quick overview of, 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 of almost the journey, almost the, the, the thinking that Paul went through. And so I'm, I'm just going to sort of summarize very quickly. I'm actually going to kind of summarize from a little bit further back, back at chapter 8. But I just want to sort of run through where Paul was, where he was going in this. Did I say chapter 8? I meant verse 8, sorry. <laughs> chapter 8 would have been a bit <laughs> The young adults are back at 9 o'clock. I should have just about finished by then. <laughs> Uh, so, Paul, what Paul is saying is he, he views the privilege of, of knowing Christ as priceless. It's just that, that, that knowing Christ, that, that relationship that he has with Christ is absolutely priceless. And, and in fact, what's more is he's, he's constantly seeking to try and understand Christ even more. He wants to deepen his understanding of him always. It's, it's one of his uh, primary sort of drives in life and and to be honest he, he he sort of says that really anything in life that gets in the way of that pursuit is not important to him in fact he says it's like rubbish 
says anything that gets in the way of his uh, continual sort of understanding of Christ is, is not of any value whatsoever to him. It is considered rubbish. He wants more than anything to exhibit those attributes uh, of Christ, just to have those behaviors, to have those sort of uh, ways and beings that, that, that Christ sort of displayed. And uh, he wants to, and, and he understands this is the next part of it. In all of that, in all of that sort of wanting to understand, wanting to get a wider and deeper appreciation of Christ, he understands that the really the only way that that happens, the only way that he's going to become, get to a place where he is walking in that and exhibiting the nature of Christ is, is through righteousness, is through being righteous, or being made whole by God, uh, being made holy, being brought into sort of a fullness of understanding. But what he understands more than anything is that that righteousness is not something he can earn himself. So it's not something he can buy. His good deeds, his actions cannot actually buy this righteousness. It's actually something that Christ paid for when he died upon the cross. It's a gift from God, something that he can receive, but not something that he can sort of gain by his own means. And at the end of that, he, he sort of he, he wants to understand. He wants to get a greater appreciation of the power of the resurrection, the power of Christ's resurrection where he came back from the death, uh, when he came back from the dead. And he wants to understand that. He wants to understand how as Christians that power outworks itself in our lives and how it outworks itself in him, that his spirit and his, and his body can be just sort of redeemed and sort of brought out of death, brought out of darkness. And, and, and the, all these things, all of this, this understanding, this deepening and this, this widening of his appreciation of God and everything that Jesus did is, is really what drives him. And he wants to understand it and he wants to embody it more than anything else. But, and as we get into sort of verse 3, uh, sorry, chapter 3, verse 12, there's sort of almost like, he sort of comes to a stop and says, but Although he understands that this is something that he wants to gain wisdom on, gain revelation on, he understands that it's, he's not there yet. He's actually a long ways off. He's still, he's still a decent ways off. And he freely admits that he's not, not in any way perfect. He longs more than anything to be reborn in, in Christ's image and likeness. Uh, and he knows that this won't happen through his own strength. It comes by, by the power and, and by the way of Christ. It comes through Christ alone. He doesn't claim to fully understand God's grace and he acknowledges that his past is littered with mistakes. But, and this is, this is the real inspiring mindset, he chooses not to let his shortcomings discourage or dissuade him from pursuing everything that Christ has laid ahead of him. So he presses towards the goal and that upward calling of Christ, and that calling that God has laid upon his life. In spite of all that, in spite of his lack of understanding, in spite of any gap of knowledge, in spite of any mistake or transgression that might be in his past, he knows that what Christ has laid ahead of him is far greater and of far greater worth than anything that might be in his wake. And so he presses on. So that was a little bit of a summary of, of where we've got to. And... One of the things I was really taken, I actually, uh, over the last, I guess, two or three weeks, I've actually taken that, 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 that sort of uh, chapter, uh, oh goodness me, chapter 3, verse 8 to 14, and I've, and I've just read it over and over again because I felt there was something in Paul's attitude and his mindset that was, which was very inspiring. It actually was, it, it kind of drove me a little bit because 
in some respects, I didn't understand everything he was saying, but at the same time, I felt as if there was definitely a kinship there. There was definitely a, a desire in my, me that was, was similar. And, and as all Christians, there's something similar, but, but, but in the way that he was able to sort of crystallize his thoughts and put it down on paper. See, he wants to be reborn in Christ's image. He consistently is looking to prove his understanding of God. And he, ins- he just wants to embody Christ and, and understand him. I, there's something really real about that. He just wants to understand God. And he wants to imitate Christ, respond as Christ would have responded in a situation. That's his desire, that just when he's in that moment, that he would respond the same way that Christ would have responded. Because he would have known in that moment that what Christ was doing in him was, was working. It was completing itself. It was making itself whole. And he wanted to perceive and recognize Christ more fully and more clearly. Now... There's something really interesting about that because in some ways you might think that and think that determination is, is that's very powerful and, and maybe something that you don't feel like, well, I, I'm not sure if I can relate to that. I'm not sure if I'm quite as passionate or full of zeal as what Paul is. But I actually read something uh, recently which, which really sort of changed my thinking on this. And it was, uh, it was a talk about, it was, it was to, about social psychology. And it was a social psychology observation. Robin, you'll enjoy this. Uh, and it was an observation called the fundamental attribution error. You ever heard of it? You do know it? Okay. Oh, no, you don't know if I say it wrong. <laughs> Just nod. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, I'll read it here. It says, it's the idea that in explaining other people's behavior, we tend to overestimate the importance of things such as character and personality and underestimate the role of situation and context. For instance, a woman falls over or slips and we think that she's clumsy. We look at that situation and think that she's clumsy, but we overlook the fact that she slipped on a banana peel. You kind of get, we, we, we sort of convey or, or apply or attach some sort of personality trait or characteristic to uh, uh, something that somebody does. And that might be to some degree true, but we almost overemphasize that and underemphasize the fact that there might be circumstances that led to that action. Now, the reason I bring it up is because there's there's sort of a tendency, this is actually quite a deep-rooted tendency within our culture, and it has a lot to do with our, uh, or society's, relationship with celebrities. We're constantly reaching and re-evaluating and and trying to sort of work out celebrities, or these people that are in the media, or people that are sort of presented to us, and try and work out what they're like deep, deep down. Have you ever done that? You sort of see someone, you see their actions, you see their mistakes, you see all that stuff, and you try and think, what are they really like? And really, you're basing that on the circumstances that you can see around their life. <laughs> what, now, I don't want to really get into whether it's important as to whether people's behavior is more to do with character or whether it's to do with situation or whether as people that we put more emphasis on it. But what I did think was incredibly interesting was that as humans, we strive, strive to better understand those that we behold. Those are people that are in front of us. We actually, there's something inbuilt within us where we, where we want to understand them better. Uh, and this is particularly true of the people that sort of exert that sort of influence over our lives. One, one aspect of worship 
is to study and to view and to emulate and try and sort of take upon someone else's characteristics, take them on as part of you. Uh, it's one of the reasons why sort of pop stars and uh, those sorts of uh, people sort of hold such a huge amount of control over sort of young people, uh, uh, the younger generation, uh, because they embody success and they embody an appeal. And there's just, they, ha- they seem to have everything that anybody could ever want, particularly if you're sort of, you're looking at that and that's all you're sort of looking at. You see that success and, and, and they embody it. They embody it and there's such appeal and it's such a seductive thing. And, and, and I've heard pop stars sort of say, well, I'm not a, I'm not a role model. I'm not, I'm not a role model. I'm just a, an artiste. I'm just a musician. I'm not a role model. But the truth is that they, they model a role in society that, that people want, that people are interested in, that people desire. And, and, as, a, and as a culture, we find some of those things very attractive. Uh, for instance, if, if, if Rihanna has posters on every single young man's room across the country, then how does that not tell every single girl that if you want to be adored as I am, then act as I do, dress like I do, and practice what I preach? Is, that not, is, is there not a logic in that? They might not think of themselves as a role model, but they, if they embody everything that somebody would want, then surely that it makes them a role model because you will model yourself upon them. It says in Colossians 3 verse 2, it says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This is what God says. Set your mind on the things above. So often, the earthly things, the things that sort of stand right in front of us, the, 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 the carnal things, just they're right there and, and they fill our minds. They, they come in through every single sort of our ears, our eyes, everything. And they come in and, and we kind of set our minds upon them. I got a rather embarrassing example, which from a few years ago, which uh, I'm sort of glad my wife isn't here, uh, but... Uh, in other words, but yeah, she knows all about it. A few years ago, and it would have been before, um, well, it was Jonathan Ross. I used to find Jonathan Ross really interesting. And I used to sort of look at him and think he was very funny and seemed to be very successful and had embodied lots of uh, character traits. And, and uh, I guess it would be like sort of that, that kind of, oh, I'm trying to think of the word. It's a normal word, but I, it's gone on my set. What was that? Charisma, yeah, charisma and confidence. That was it. He just had those, he seemed very at ease, just sort of in a very public setting. And I thought it was really cool. And uh, this was long before the sort of the sack gate uh, scenario. I think that's what it's called. Uh, not long before it, mind you. And he see, was everywhere. He was on television. He was on the radio. And, and, and once again, it was probably something that was just coming in through every single sort of opening of my mind. And I remember hearing him being interviewed on the radio, and he was, I, I thought he was very funny, and he was kind of talking about how much he sort of, he disliked being around people. And it, it was just sort of almost like a very, uh, it was humorous, but at the same time, you kind of felt like it was probably a little bit true, and how he just kind of liked to be alone, and liked to be left alone, and, and, and although he appreciated fans and stuff like that, really he wasn't interested in play, uh, being with people. And there was something dismissive and kind of cheeky about it that, that I thought was very interesting. I was much younger then. And uh, he, well, I remember just sort of listening to that and really taking it in and thinking that it sounded like a very good idea. Sounded sounded like something that that I might like to try on. And I, I remember like a few days later, it was a few days later, Laura 
turned to me and, and she was saying, you know, we needed to go somewhere. It was somewhere public. I, I can't remember where it was. I'm sure it wasn't church. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, she was saying, you know, we need to go to this place. And I just said to her, and I almost said it word for word, verbatim of what he'd said a few days earlier. He was like, oh, I like to be alone. I don't like to be around people. And my wife, because she's very wise and, and very considerate and very careful, just said, James, you're very stupid, aren't you? <laughs> you're very stupid, James. And the truth was, in that moment... I completely recognized the origin of that statement. I knew instantly where it had come from. And it was almost like I was trying on a, a coat and it yeah. didn't really fit. And I was just trying on this coat t- t- for size. And it was, I felt really foolish. I feel very foolish telling that story. But I'm trying to sort of emphasize something so that I'm not just talking about you know, other people. <laughs> but I felt very stupid. And I felt like I had totally been influenced by this thought, which was completely not a thought that was original to me. It wasn't something I in any way felt strongly about. In fact, I love hanging around with people. It's actually completely counter to the way that I like to be. And yet, there was something very, there was, there was something not in the statement that was attractive, but there was something in the origin of that statement that, that had somehow seduced me and got me to sort of to say it, I'd actualized it with my mouth. My mouth was saying these, these things that weren't even true and were completely kind of actually not, not right statement to make at all. And although the coat didn't fit me, the truth is if you put on a coat enough times, a coat like this, your character can begin to warp. Your character can actually begin to change shape and you can morph into those things that you say. You might be like, well, I'm my own person. But if the things that are coming around your life and speaking into your life say something that is counter to what God is saying, saying counter to the understandings of Christ, then we speak, it's like putting on a coat. And after a while, that coat begins to fit because you have changed shape. The character, your character, your personality has been morphed into something that is not what Christ intended. Set your mind on the things above. When you set your mind on the things above, then the things of the earth cannot penetrate that. You're seeking to understand Christ and anything, like Paul said, it's not that everything is rubbish. He didn't say everything in the world is rubbish. He said anything that gets in the way of me understanding Christ more is rubbish. Anything that stands, anything that stands as a roadblock, anything that detracts me from this mission in my life, that is rubbish. And And that comes from setting your mind on the things above. So what, what is it that Paul is pursuing? What is it, when he's speaking, what is he pursuing? And, and why, does he, why does he want to understand Christ better? What is it that he wants? What is he glimpsed that drives him so much? Well, he's on a journey. He's on a journey and he knows that at the end of it there is a prize. The prize is the upward call of God. It is the upward call of God. Well, what is the upward call of God? Well, the upward call of God, it's the end of the race. It is, it is in simplicity. It's, it's eternal life. It is within heaven. In the same verse, it actually says in the NIV, it says, God has called me heavenward. And in the New Living Translation, it says, the heavenly prize. The, the, the upward call of God is God is calling you into eternity. He's calling you into perfection. He's calling to you into his heavenly kingdom to raise you out of death and bring you and birth you into perfection to be with God for the rest of eternity. That is the fruition of this stage of our Christian walk. It says, this is awesome. I, I, was, I had this verse, Ephesians 1.18. You know when you go to McDonald's 
and you order your, your happy meal or your, or your value meal and they say to you just as you're about to pay for it do you want to go supersize? and you want to go supersize <laughs> every time whether you go supersize or not you want to go supersize because everything that goes supersize is better so I didn't just go for verse 18 I chucked 17 in there and then went amplified <laughs> I've gone amplified because this is awesome this, is, this hopefully will paint such a bright, amazing, vibrant picture in your minds. I hope I haven't oversold it. (laughs) (laughs) Ephesians 1, verse 17 to 18, and it says, For I always pray to God, to to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, of insight into the mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him. By having the eyes of your heart flooded with light so that you can know and understand the hope to which he has called you and how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints. There is a power in that. God God has called us that we would have an insight. There would be an understanding of the deep secrets, the deepness of God. That we would, our souls would be flooded with the revelation of God. Our eyes would be open to the hope that he has called us to. There's hope. There's an inheritance. A hope that is so complete. A hope that is so perfect. That its brilliance, once it enters your life, can never be eclipsed can never be eclipsed. The hope of paradise, unmerited and undeserved. But not just eternal life, and this is, this is amazing, not just eternal life, but an inheritance that is rich and glorious. Life on earth, life on earth has this amazing ability. You probably have all noticed this. Life has this amazing ability to seem so completely and totally permanent and important. Like, like, the things that you're dealing with today seem like they, they are the most important things of the entire creation. Or you've certainly been through things in life where you think, goodness me, heaven must be shaking with the, with the, with the struggle that I'm going through, the, the concern that I'm having. But, and it seems so permanent, it seems so important, it seems so, you know, I, I don't know what the word is, just incredible. Like just sort of the ideas that, you know, being... Being, being loved and, and being acclaimed and being sort of looked towards by all people is, is the most important thing. Uh, but the truth is our lives are so fragile. They're so fragile and, and they're temporary and they're actually just a blink in the eye of eternity. It doesn't seem like that. It's very difficult to have that perspective when you've got bills to pay and you've cars just broken down. But, but the truth is our lives are they're, they're fragile and they are, they, they are not eternal. These lives that we live right now aren't eternal. They're they're, they're a blink in the eye of eternity. Heaven, on the other hand, is a place of permanence. And and this is the thing I find mind-blowing. Our lives right now are temporary and fragile. and, and, And life in heaven is permanent and incredible. And yet, we have the opportunity here on earth, in this short blink of an eye, to shape, to determine where our eternity lies. We're, we're only here for such a short amount of time. But the decisions we make here have the power to determine that we spend eternity with God. 
not just a few days, not a holiday, but the rest of our lives in paradise. That is decided by the, by the few small, short years we have on earth. The power in these, although it, is, although it is temporary and although it is fragile, there is great power in our lives. God has placed great power because he's put the power of decision in our lives. And that's an awesome thing. It says... It says in Ephesians 2.8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Our journey, our journey isn't actually to, to strive for that prize. Because that prize, that, that heavenward, heavenward call, is actually already assured. The day that we accept Christ into our lives... That, that heavenly call is assured. It is, it is determined. It is signed, sealed, and delivered. But like Paul, we're on this path of discovery. The riches God has in store for us don't start on our arrival in heaven. It says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse seven, uh, 5 to 7, it says, For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await, uh, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. It says, there is nothing you lack while you wait. While we're waiting for Christ to come back, we're not having to wait for that. That inheritance that sits up in heaven, it's not something that we, it's not something we are only able to access the day that we go there. No, 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 no. We actually have spiritual gifts that we can access that we have no, there's actually no lack of from our time here on earth. As soon as we receive Christ, as soon as we position ourselves and, and, and frame ourselves that we are in a place of expecting Christ to return, we're, we're, we're waiting upon him, then every single gift that Christ has for us, every single gift God has for us becomes accessible to us. He has advanced our inheritance. It says in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 31, eagerly desire greater gifts eagerly desire greater gifts. Why? Because they're not available? No, because they are available. It says in Romans 11, 29, it says, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. I like irrevocable. That means that it's regardless of my behavior. It's regardless of my shortcomings as a human being, that they are irrevocable, that it's based on the permanence of him, not the fragility of me. Let's talk about the spiritual gifts. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to, uh, 8 to 10, it talks about them. It says what they are. It says their wisdom. It says that their knowledge. It says that their faith. It says that they are gifts of healing. It says they are miraculous powers of prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, and the distinguishing of tongues. In Romans 12, it says we have different gifts. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, and mercy. These all give us, they're all gifts that God has given for us. He's put aside for us that we have access to. But here's a really amazing thing. There have been lots of amazing things. I've probably said that loads. I just found this such an inspiring message to put together. These gifts relate all the way back to what I was talking about at the beginning about understanding Jesus better. See, we can often view these gifts, these spiritual gifts of, of healing, of, of, of miraculous power, of, of, of all of these gifts. We can see them in isolation. But in the context of Jesus, they're actually, they're actually part of his nature. See, Jesus, when he would walk around, when he was here on earth, 
He would walk about, and if he saw someone that needed healed, well, he'd just go over there and heal them. And if he saw someone who needed a, a, a word of life, just needed to hear something of the greatness of God, well, he'd just walk over there and just go and do it. He wouldn't wait. He wouldn't say, well, I have to go and, I have to go and access this gift over here and, and maybe pray for a little bit. No, no, no. It was actually a part of his nature. When he needed to access those gifts, when he needed to make them work right there and then, because it was a part of him, he didn't have to wait around. He just made it happen. He just went and took it. He said he needed to prophesy. He prophesied. If he needed to heal, he healed. Because they were a part of his nature. And in understanding God better. And understanding Christ and what he did. And the nature of him. And, and, and pursuing that idea of understanding Christ better. Then we begin to realize that, that as he walked about. And as he used these gifts whenever he needed to. Indiscriminately. Then we can take on these gifts as well. It's almost like it's like it's taken out the company credit card. You've been given the company credit card. You, you're part of the company now. You're part of the family. You're part of God. You're part of what he's birthed you into. You are in Christ. So you take those gifts. Because they, they have been promised to you. They are an inheritance. Not an inheritance for when you die, but an inheritance from the point at which Christ died for your sins. Christ is calling. Christ is calling. The the echoes of his life, death, and resurrection resonate throughout time. And they resonate from when they happened to right now. This might be a message that you've never heard. You might never have heard that there is a God in heaven that made a way and has these awesome inheritances, awesome gift upon your life, a calling for every single one of us. See, his life settled the case against us. The prosecution of mistakes that we've accumulated over our lives has been settled. It says in Matthew 20, verse 28, it says, to paraphrase slightly, it says, Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. Those debts, those shortcomings, those mistakes, those regrets, he's paid the ransom for every single one of them. Heaven and eternity is a prize we're not worthy of. Nobody here is claiming to be worthy of those prizes. Mercy, mercy on its own would have just been simply to to pay that debt. But he's done more than that. See, God, he loves us so much. He sees us children that it isn't enough for him just to say, well, okay, I forgive you of your sins, but you're on your own. No, 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 no. He he has an inheritance in store for every single one of us. So glorious and so majestic and so lavish. It speaks of his wonderful grace, his love, his excitement of the fact that people would come into a place of salvation. That they would hear a message of truth, a message of hope. The good news that as Jesus died upon a cross, every single sin, every single mistake, every single regret, every single guilt upon our lives is settled and paid for. The prosecution is settled and we are set free and born into something new. Born into something permanent. Something that is not just trivial, but something that is complete and perfect and amazing just in the reflection of Christ. And he wants every person to know that. He yearns for people to know what he's offering them. The upward call, the upward call of God is like, it's, it's a lift in the trajectory of your life. 
It takes your life and it puts it on an upward trajectory because you are now pointing towards heaven. That's where your life points. The final part in that, in that pressing in, that, 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 that verse that we read, the very last three words are, in Christ Jesus. And I'm just bringing this message to a close. In Christ Jesus. Everything that has been said up till now, everything that Paul spoke about, it is all in Christ Jesus. Our access to that prize, to those gifts, comes only via Jesus. Our eligibility is through him. The prize comes from God. But we need to be in Christ to receive it, to be aligned with him, to be in sync with him, to be in relationship with him. See, there's a lifeboat called Christ. A lifeboat called Christ. You need to be in that boat. You need to be in Christ. And take that journey together. See, that's Christ and that's us. And we journey together. Some of us have walked through life and, and that has been our journey. But then some of us have also had journeys where this has been Christ. This is the, this is the upward trajectory. This is the upward call. And our life is just sort of yo-yoed to and from. Every now and again we sort of found ourselves in alignment. We found that season of our life where we're just, we're, we realize we're in, in relationship. It's, it's working. But, but there's other times where we're just, we're just far away and we're just yo-yo to and from and... You know, when you go like that, when you journey with Christ, then the fullness of his calling is realized. When we're doing that, when we're, when we're coming and toing and froing, we just spend all of our energy receiving from Christ and then just having to spend the whole rest of the time trying to work out what it's all about and, and, and almost starting from scratch every time. We just feel like it's... Don't feel as if we make any progress. And, and it can be a frustrating experience. But Christ has called us to be in him. To be in him. He is taking us on a journey. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.thejunctionchurch.com or come along and see for yourself in one of our services.